Turn to Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11. We've been working our way through um, the book of Hosea the last few weeks, but Hosea chapter 11. But before we do that, before I uh, pray, just, uh, just as Chris said, just keep Keep praying for this week. Uh, it's the funnest week of the year here at Cornerstone with VBS starting tomorrow. We already have, I think, 60, a little over 60 kids already pre-registered uh, for the week. And then on Friday, Miss Pearl from Roseland is bringing 50 kids down as well uh, to be with us for um, Vacation Bible School. So it's always a great week. And if you could stay after this afternoon, and um, if you want to, uh, 1 o'clock to about 5 o'clock, we're going to be out here uh, setting the church up, getting it all prepared. So if you can come and help decorate as well uh, for any bit of time, we would greatly appreciate that um, as well. But Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read Hosea 11, 1 through 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I taught, took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with the cords of kindness, with the bands of love, And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, He shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adam? How can I treat you like Zebon? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. His children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return to them to their homes, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for just this morning, this chance to gather at the beginning of the week just to worship you. Lord, thanks for the truth of your word and the help of the word and the hope of your word. Lord, just thanks for your love. Lord, I just pray that you would just lift up this coming week for our church. As we have the little children coming, Lord, I pray that you would just bring them, that, you bring their, that their families would allow them to come, that they would encourage, that they would hear from you. And I pray you just open hearts and just help the children to know that you love them and care for them. Lord, I pray you be with Lydia as she heads down to Louisiana. I pray that you would just protect her as she goes. You provide for her. Just use her as she helps others uh, overcome just the difficulties of the hurricane from last August. I pray you just give her a great week and then strengthen and encourage her. Lord, I pray that this morning, 
with all the concerns that we have on people's hearts and minds, the Holy Spirit, you would speak to us through your word. You would just calm our minds. You'd teach us. You'd help us. And help us to know your love for us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Elizabeth Elliot tells the story of when she was a little child, her family was vacationing in Belmore, New Jersey. And they were at the beach, and she was about eight or nine. She had a couple younger brothers, and they're out swimming in the beach, and her dad would tell them, hey, come out with me and jump in the waves and I'll, I'll catch you. She would go out and do it. But her younger brother was afraid. He would not go out and jump in the waves. He wouldn't play. All week long, every day, the father would say, come on, come on, Dave. Let's go and swim in the ocean. I'll, I'll protect you. I'll hold you. It'll be fun. All week long, he refused, refused to the last day of vacation. His dad said, hey, come on out. Let's jump in the waves in the ocean. I'll catch you. It'll be fine. His her brother agreed to go out in the last day. He was jumping in the waves in the ocean with as much fun as he could possibly imagine. And when it was done, he broke into tears and looked at his dad and he says, Why didn't you make me go in earlier? If he had really known the heart of his father, if he had really trusted the heart of his father, what unbelievable joy he would have had for the entire week of his vacation instead of just at the very end. I mean, the same is true for us. Knowing the heart of God and trusting the heart of God, our good Father will calm you, it will carry you, it will comfort you, and it will compel you to share the good news of the heart of God with others, but you must know and you must trust the Father's heart for you to have true hope. But the truth is, we constantly and regularly refuse to know the heart of God and to trust the heart of God, and this is nothing new. In the beginning, Adam and Eve, they did not trust the heart of God and they didn't choose to know the heart of God, and so they rejected the heart of God and rebelled against him. And years later, the people of God, in Exodus, God called the children of Israel, his called people, for the first time in the Bible, he called them my children, my firstborn, he said. But then when God delivered them from Egypt, just as they were heading out of slavery, they get to the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army's coming after them, the Red Sea's in front of them, and instantly they forget the heart of God, and they forget to trust the heart of God, and they start murmuring and complaining and saying it would have been better if you left us in Egypt to die. And God says to tell Moses, tell the people to be still and watch me. And God parts the Red Sea, and he does a miraculous delivery of the people of God out of Egypt. And forever, that story is marked through Scripture. And God constantly tells them, remember when I pulled you out of Egypt. Remember my heart for you, and remember my love for you. And for years, he said, you're my people. And you're to follow after me. Don't follow other gods. Don't, don't father, uh, father, follow other ways. Follow me. Follow my heart and trust 
my heart. And the people did not do it for years. And then the book of Hosea, God comes to them and says, Hosea, I want you to go tell the people. Tell them the judgment is coming on them because they haven't trusted my heart and they haven't trusted my love. And Hosea spends about 40 to 50 years calling out to the people of God, trust God, trust his heart, follow God, follow his heart. And God says, Hosea, I'm going to make it really hard for you. I want you to go marry a wife and she's not going to be faithful to you. And I want you to demonstrate to the people what my love is like. I want people to see my heart and I want people to see that they can be, trust me. So I want you to love your wife even as she will be unfaithful to you. And Hosea lived this out. That's the first three chapters of Hosea. Then the middle sections of Hosea is his prophecy, his sermons, his messages to the people saying, judgment's coming. You haven't trusted the heart of God and you haven't followed the heart of God. And so judgment is going to come. And he says at the end of Hosea 10, verses 13 and 14, he says, here's why. It says in Hosea 10, you have plowed iniquity, you have repeated injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies. Because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors, therefore, excuse me, therefore the tumult of war shall arise among your people and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. And Hosea chapter 10 ends with a very sad picture of what's going to happen to the people of God. It says, at the, at the dawn, the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. But then, out of that, Hosea 11 comes up. It is one of the greatest pictures of the heart of God in all of Scripture. God just says, this is what's going to happen with my people. Here's what's going to happen because of what my people have done for not trusting my heart. And now God says, but I want to show you what my heart's like for my people. This is what he compels them with in Hosea chapter 11. He shows us his heart, not for just the people of Israel back in that time, but for God's heart for us, God's heart for you. This is God's heart. And what God does in Hosea chapter 11 at the beginning is this God just reminisces, first of all, about his children. This is the story The picture of God revealing to us his heart for us and the way that God chose to reveal his heart to us is the picture of a father with a broken heart for children who won't follow his ways, who won't make the right choices. And God says, as he's looking at that picture of this broken-hearted father that he is for his people, He says, when Israel was a child, I loved them. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away. What you're reading is the picture of a father with a wounded heart for children that he loves and that he's called and compelled and tried to demonstrate his love, but every time he calls them, for some reason, they keep running away and going their own way. Many men may be in this room. You know that heart. You may carry that heart. This is the heart of God for his people. 
It's a wounded heart. But he says, when Israel was a child, I loved them. He thought about them. He reminisced about them. God thinks about you more than you'll ever know. All the struggles of this past week that you may have had, all the concerns that are on your mind as you come at the beginning of another week and walk through it wondering what's going on with my life, God has not stopped thinking about you. Psalm 139, 17 and 18 says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. When you went to sleep last night, God was thinking about you. When you woke up this morning, God was thinking about you. He was reminiscing about you over and over and over. His, his thoughts are, are precious to you unbelievably over and over. So this is the picture of God. It's a, it's a wounded heart. But then he just remembers this, and then he talks about how he raised this family, how he raised his children. He has this, this whole, he welcomed them in. He welcomed these people of God. When I saw my children in Egypt, I called them my son. God was an adoptive father. He, he adopted these children, but he welcomed them in. If you were an adopted parent, or if you know you're just a parent, you remember the time when you welcomed them in. They, they, they showed up. They arrived. You welcomed them into the family. And Deuteronomy 7 says the nation of Israel wasn't welcomed in by God because they were the strongest, because they were the best. God welcomed the nation of Israel in. They were the smallest. They were weakest. It had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with God. That's how God thinks about you. He loves you, even though it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the heart of God, and he just reminisces about this, and he remembers them. It says, I, I, was, like, I was with them when they were like children walking, yet it was I, in verse 3, who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. Every parent, every father remembers this. The first time they start to walk, you put them down, you stick your hands out, and it's the biggest deal of the day. I mean, they take two little steps, they fall down. It's, it's amazing. They did this. You, you have unbelievable joy when your children walk for the first time. This is how God feels towards us. He's like, I'm reminiscing, but I helped them walk out of Egypt like little children. They, they stumbled, but I kept picking them up, and I carried them away. I was the one that took care of their wounds. Even they didn't know it. When your children fall, they bust their knee open, they, they hurt themselves, you're the one that spends all night awake with them. They're lying in bed sick. They don't know who's taking care of them. They don't know where always the medicine's coming from. But this is what loving parents do. This is what the heart of the Father does. This is what God did for the nation of Israel. He was over them when they needed water in the wilderness. He, he brought that to them, even though they may have rejected it. He reminisced over their children. He helped them walk. He took care of their wounds. Then it talks about, I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them, and I fed them. Just like a father or a mother would pick their child up, put him to their cheek, put him down in their seat, and start feeding them and caring for them. This is how God pictures his heart for his children. He reminisces and cares for them. He, he welcomes them. He, he enjoys them. He fellowships with them. He takes care of them. This is what the loving heart of a father does. Barbie does the Barbie's buzz for the Wednesday word every 
week I ask her to. She fills it out. And every once in a while, Jason will pop in and put in a buzz for us. And as we're thinking about Father's Day and the reminiscing of our children and how God cares for us, Jason wrote one a couple weeks ago. I just want to encourage the parents and the families. I'm just going to read what he said. With our last graduation party coming up and Father's Day around the corner, it's gotten me reminiscing about all the time spent together and all the good times of my family. family. <clears throat> Remembering fishing trips and fun times, playing together, we have made me realize how quickly you go from making the memories to them being memories. It's a difficult time as our kids are getting grown and starting to leave our home, but it's necessary, part of the process, and I'm proud of them and happy for them. As men, we think we're supposed to be tough and not sad, but I'll tell you, dads, be tender with your children. Tell them you love them. Let them see that fathers aren't just serious and dis disciplining or funny and silly, but that they're also kind and compassionate. It's about being a blessing to you and your family, and it will allow them to be open with you. Our Heavenly Father has given us great examples of this. He's not only just or only full of righteous anger, but he's also tender and loving. You get a few precious years to train them to be the men and women they will become. And they'll be more like you than you ever realize. <clears throat> so what will your kids grow up to be like? What are you modeling for them? This was God's question to his people. Look at me. I'm a loving father who has reminisced over you. I've cared for you. I've helped you walk. I've helped, I've took care of your wounds. I've been willing to care for you in all of your needs. And he, he reminisces of this, but the people of God, as much as God reminisced about his children, they rejected that. They rejected this unbelievable, loving God. And when he would call them, they would constantly run the other way. And then God has to say, here's the consequences of that. They'll, they'll, they shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. And just like a good father, God not only reminisces about his children, but when they have strayed and gone wrong, God has a righteous anger because of the sins of the children. I mean, they, they've gone wayward. He's called them, and they, they said, I don't want to follow God. I don't want to do it God's way. And the more God would call them, the more they would run away. They would keep sacrificing to the Baals. They would keep burning offerings to idols. They would do sins of omission of things that God told them to do, and they would do sins of commission, the things that they were not supposed to do, just like we do. If we read the story of Hosea, we're not God. We're not the good fathers. We're the wayward children. We're the gomers. We, we are do sins of omission, the things that we're supposed to do. We do sins of commission. We, we, we run from God. We, we are then relocated. And God has wounds from that. And if you're a parent who's got a wayward son or a wayward daughter, the encouragement to know is that this is, this is the heart of God. God has children like that too. And God has great compassion. 
for hurting parents. He's near to the brokenhearted. But God said their, their sin will bring their consequences. They shall not return to the land of Egypt. They aren't returning. They're not re repenting. They have this wrong view of God. God says, you're my children. He called them their sons. And instead of acting like the children of God, they acted like orphans. They, 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 they acted like God didn't love them. They, they acted like God didn't care for them. They, they tried to do things on their own instead of trusting the heart of God and trusting the love of God, partly because Satan is a liar. And when you listen to the lies of Satan, he will pull you away from God. And the other reason why is if you listen to yourself, left to itself, because of sin, what yourself tells you is a liar. We have all these lies in our head, and as long as you think that God doesn't love you as much as he says he loves you, you will continue and struggle to believe the heart of God and to believe that you can trust God and you'll, you'll have a wayward, orphan child heart. John Owen said, So long as the father is seen as harsh, judging and condemning, the soul is filled with fear and dread every time it comes to him. So in Scripture we read of sinners fleeing and hiding from him. Because, but when God, who is the father, is seen as a father filled with love. The soul is filled with love to God in return. But the people of God didn't listen to that. They kept listening to their own ways. They had wrong views of who they were, which created in them this desire to make wrong choices. And what choice did God have? A righteous, holy God. He had to say, these are the consequences. Just like any good father would. This is what you want. I'm going to have to let you go. Just like the prodigal son's father said to him, I want you to stay, son. But the son said, give me half of what you had, and he, and he said, go. And he let him go. Not because he didn't love his son, because the son was following these consequences. When you hear of the judgment of God, which is true, God will judge the unrighteous. God will judge sin. God will judge your sin. But when you hear that, it's not a violent, vindictive God lashing out in rage. It's a heartbroken parent finally allowing the consequences of a rebellious child's behavior to fall. But God is slow to anger. Psalm 86, 15 says, But you, O Lord, are God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But a good father disciplines his children. Hebrews chapter 12 says if it, if it is for discipline that you have to endure because God is treating you as sons. If you are in a situation where you're sinning and you know you're sinning and your life isn't going the way you want it to go, that's the mercy of God on you if you can see it as the discipline of God. But if you can sin and there's no desire for God and you can just keep living your life that way and there's nothing to pull you back, that's a sign that maybe you're not a son of God because God disciplines his children. But it's not because he's vindictive. It's not because he's mad and angry and just wants to ruin people's lives. It's because he's a wounded-hearted father who loves his children and he calls them constantly. 
Because God is love. He didn't leave it there. That's the hope of the gospel. That God would call out of Egypt his son. He would send Jesus to come to earth to live the life that we would not and could not live left to ourselves. He would go to the cross for our sins and all the righteous anger on sin that we deserved was put on Jesus so that we would not have to receive the righteous anger of God. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the heart of a loving God who says, I don't want my people to suffer that way. That's what love looks like. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to the to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the satisfactory payment for our sins. Instead of us, Jesus was on the cross. Jesus was the satisfactory payment for the righteous anger of God against sin. And instead of us having to deal with it, God says, I'll take it on myself. God's righteous anger for his children is not vindictive. The cross Someone said, should settle the question of whether Jesus is ever ashamed of you. He endured such shame and suffering because he loves his people. Have you looked at your past week, you looked at your past month, and think, man, I say I love God, but man, look at my life. Look at the direction I'm heading. How, how could God really love me? He does. The cross shows you that Jesus is not afraid of you. He's not embarrassed by you. If you're his child, he loves you. God has righteous anger because of his, the sins of his children, but God has remarkable, relentless love for his children. Verse 8, it says, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? Which is just another name for Israel. How God says, this is God speaking. He's looking to, he's seeing all the sins of his people. He knows all the struggles, all the wounds, all the rejections, all the times they did not repent. And this is God's heart for you. This is what God's response to that is after he's looked at your life and seen all the times you've walked away, failed him, miserably tried, de denied him, ignored him. God's heart for you is this, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I give you up, O Jeff? How can I give you up, O Shane? How can I give you up, O Nick? How can I give you up, O Don? How can I give you up, O Renee? This is how, how can I give you up, Cornerstone? This is how God feels for us. God's reaction to this is, how can I give you up, O Israel? How can I hand you over, O Israel? He has great emotion. He looks at what should be expected because he knows. The law says that if a rebellious child in Deuteronomy 21 doesn't follow his parents, if a rebellious child refuses to listen, they would take them or could take them outside the city and stone them so that the evil would be removed. Now, we don't ever hear any time that ever took place, but that was the law. And God knew that what should come from rebellious people who don't repent is, is death, but God says, how, how can I do it? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like the little towns around Sodom and Gomorrah that got wiped out when I brought my judgment on them? This was recoiling to God. My heart recoils within me, God says. 
God was churning. When he, when he thought about it, he says in his God's heart, was, it was churning like waves in the ocean. He, he couldn't figure out, how could I do this? And then he says in verse 9, I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. He actually says, my compassion grows warm and tender. When he looked at the sins of his people, he didn't repel back from them. When he looks at your sins, when he sees your life, the things you tried to hide, the things you don't want anybody to know about, God doesn't go running. It actually says, when he sees that, he goes, my compassion grows warm and tender towards his people. He, he wants them to come to them. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. It's unbelievable. What we are called to do is to embrace the love of God. If you want to have a calmness, if you want to have joy, if you want to have a hope that is unexplainable, the way you do that is embracing the love of God. God has unbelievable compassion for you in your sin. He's not running from you. He's not trying to hide from you. When God sees your sin, God comes to you. That's, that's what he's saying. I, I'm not going to let this, my people go. This was the experience that he wanted his people to have. The Apostle Paul knew that the love of God was so significant for Christians to grow that he says to them, this was his prayer for them, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, so that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being grounded and rooted in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What we are called a need is to know the love of God. Paul said it, it must not be easy because Paul's prayer for these Christians was that they would know the love of God. If, you, if, you were, if you're dealing with a sin you can't overcome, it's not by working harder on the sin, it's by embracing how much God loves you that's going to change you. It's by looking at Jesus and seeing how much he loves you, that's what's going to change you. It's by seeing the unbelievable depth of the love of God, just like you, if you're a father, have for your children. Just like you, if you're a mother, have for your children. That you want to go to them, not go away from them. This is how God feels about you. How do we get this? We look to Jesus, the Bible says. We look to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You look to Jesus to see his remarkable love. You, you, you think about what Jesus did for you on the cross. You look at what Jesus did for you on the cross. You see what Jesus said about how he lived his life through scriptures. You see him, and then you expect it. And this is what God said would take place. When he said, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to love my people. I have unbelievable, remarkable love. I'm not a man. Men get offended Men get wounded, and they run away, or they pour their wrath on somebody. But God's not like that. I'm not a man. I'm the Holy One. I'm God. I'll take the hurt. I'll take the wrath. I'll take the punishment for people. And then he says, They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling 
from the west. And they shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria. God says, I'm going to call my people. And Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He will roar, it says in Revelations 5, and his people will come to him. And as the people before were like little birds fluttering around, not sure where they land, God says, when I call them, they'll know where home is. I can't read that without thinking about C.S. Lewis and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with Aslan the Lion. And there's a part in Aslan the Lion where it says, Aslan stood up, and when he opened his mouth to roar, they saw all the trees in front of him bend before the blast of his roaring as grass bends in a meadow before the wind. And it all just fell down, and everybody could see Aslan. When God roars... When Jesus roars, he's calling you home. Do you know the love of God? Because God's heart is like this, and because we can trust Jesus this way, that's why we're spending a week calling children to Jesus. That's why many of you are going to be out here every day this week so that little children, Jesus said, will come to him. Suffer the little children to come to me. All the work, all the effort. And so the little children, boys and girls, can hear Jesus loves them. And when he roars, he's not angry with them. He's a God of great compassion who wants to call them to himself. It's why if you're a parent struggling with children who aren't where you wish they would be. You can hear the roar of Jesus, and you can bring your pain to Jesus. He's a God who understands it. He's a God who knows what it's like to have wayward children, and he's a God who constantly hounds them. He loves your kids more than you do. And he's roaring. So you keep praying. You keep seeking God for your children. It's why you can set aside any doubts that Jesus does love you. Say, God can't love me. I've done too many things. I've thought too many bad things about him. I've faked it too many times. It, It really can't be true that the God of the universe loves me. It is true. And he would love to roar to you. So you would hear it and you would respond to it. And not just know it, but experience it. The love of God like Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 2. And it's also why this morning, if you've never felt the love of God, you've never come to Jesus by faith, you've never said, I want to have, I need help with my sin, I want to be forgiven, and I want to have Jesus be the leader of my life, Jesus says, come, surrender your life to me, come and trust in him. Jesus' roar comes from a heart that loves you, and it's a heart that you can trust. Because higher than the mountains that you face, stronger than the power of the grave, constant through the trials and the chains, one thing remains. God's love never fails. It will never give up. It will never give up on you. Do you know God's love? Ask God to open your eyes again to his great love for you. Let him roar in your heart this morning. Let's pray.